Father God, we thank you. Powerful time of worship and praise, Lord, before you. And it was our offering to you this morning, O God, because we love you. And we know, God, that you love us. And Lord, this morning, I believe this sermon is very important, O God, for the church and for those that would listen and those that would view after. And so, God, I just ask for your precious anointing, for your love and your compassion, for the words that you would speak through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I will be careful to give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on this subject. Truly, God is good. Truly, God is good. God is good. In Psalm 73, verse 1, and many people believe the one who wrote this psalm was a worship leader. He said, truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. The phrase, truly, God is good, means that God is pleasant and pleasing that God is beneficial, that he's favorable to us and that he understands us and that he acts rightly and righteously in our lives. So here's a few questions and there'll be a few questions in this sermon for you to ponder because any good teaching or preaching causes people to ask questions. Do you think God is only good to others? Do you think God doesn't understand you or your present situation at this moment? Do you think that God is acting rightly and righteously and fair in your life right now? Those are three important questions. Three important questions. Let me say them again. Do you think that God is only good to others? Because the psalmist is saying is is that God is good to Israel. He's not including himself at this moment. Do you think God doesn't understand you or your present situation? Do you think he's not acting rightly or righteously or fairly in your life? In verse 2, he says, but as for me, now, that's just like us. God is good for everyone else, but Lord, I don't know what's happening in my life. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. What's he saying here? He's saying God is good, but not for me. Come on now. God is good to others, to Israel, but did he leave me out? And sometimes that's the way we feel when we go through a great problem or situation in our life that seems so complex that we think even God can't even solve it. The word that says, my feet were almost gone, it means his feet were spread out or stretched, extended, overwhelmed, like he was slipping. We've all slipped. We've all slipped on ice. We've all taken a fall here and there. And then he said, my steps had well nigh slipped. What does that mean? It means to be poured out in Hebrew. It means to pour out anger. He was mad upon, uh, upset and mad at his plight in life. It's just not waiting, Lord. It's just not working the way I expected. Life has not turned out the way I expected. And I tell people this, it didn't turn out for God the way he expected either. Because he didn't expect Lucifer to rebel. He didn't expect Adam and Eve to sin in the Garden of Eden. It didn't turn out for God the way he expected. But he overcame it. And he had a plan. And he put that plan in process. And that's why we can sit here this morning being saved and sanctified and filled with his Holy Spirit. Praise God. When do you feel this way? 
that you've slipped, with that, that things are just out of your control. Feel like you're slipping? Feel like you're stretched out or extended? Do you feel overwhelmed this morning? I'm sure you do, because life is so intense. Life is so tedious. Life is so habitual that sometimes we forget that God is also good to us. Do you feel like life is eluding you? Come on, you have to answer these questions in your heart. What are those specific moments when your faith is shaken? It's easy to praise God when the cupboards are full. It's easy to praise God when you're getting your paycheck. It's easy to praise God when the kids are acting right. It's easy to praise God when there's no hole in the roof and there's a leak coming down in your bedroom. It's easy to praise God. But sometimes it's not as easy to praise God when you're going through a trial. What did he say in verse 3? He said, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right here, what this psalmist is doing, what he's doing is looking in the wrong direction and looking at the wrong people. Looking in the wrong direction. His eyes were not fixed on God at the moment. It was fixed on other people. And the Bible says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. His eyes were not upon God, but those that he was envious of. We can't forget the scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We must continually look unto Jesus. It's so easy to get our eyes on man. It's so easy to get our eyes on what's going on in the world. It's so easy to be sabotaged by news and and, and negativity and people coming into our lives trying to mess up our mind and our psyche. Praise God. But God says, listen, I do love you and I do care for you and I will truly be good to you. What does the word envious mean here? It means to be jealous of. He was jealous. It means to excite or provoke to jealous anger. He was mad. This man was mad because he thinks God don't care about me right now. He doesn't see my situation. Oh, he cares about Israel. But look at these people. Look at these wicked people. What was he saying? He was being tempted. Praise God. He was the temptation to become envious of the wicked. Have to ask yourself a question. What's your temptation this morning? What was the psalmist's temptation? He almost believed, listen to this, that the people of God were no better off than those that didn't know God. That's what he was believing right now. And that's what a lot of people believe in our country and in our nation right now. They believe, listen, I'm going to say it again. He almost believed the people of God were no better off than those that did not know God. Don't tell me you don't think that sometimes. Come on now. God expects us to be honest before him, especially in his, in his house. He almost believed. He almost was deceived in his thinking that the wicked were happier and taken care of more than the Christian. That's what he was believing. Do we believe that? Sometimes we do. Listen, what, what he was saying here. What is envy? It's a feeling of discontent and resentment aroused by desire for the possessions or qualities of another person. 
The word envy means to feel resentful or painful desire for another's advantages or possessions. It means being jealous. Do you experience envy or jealousy at times? Oh, yes, we do. We must be honest. When? You have to ask yourself, and why? And under what circumstances or under what conditions do we become envious of others? Look at verse 4 and 5. He's believing. Now here's what I call the assault on the mind. You've heard me preach this so many times through the years. The battle is in the mind. What you allow in here is going to affect what's down here in your heart. What you allow here is going to affect your footsteps. What you allow here is going to affect your every day. Praise God. Listen to what God is saying. He says, he's crying out to God now. And he's saying, for there are no bands in their death. But their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Do you understand what the man is saying here? He's saying, these people seem to live forever. These people seem like they have no problems. The word uh, strength means prominence, nobility, and wealthy. Look at those that, that are so prominent in our, in our society today. Look at politicians. So noble, so prominent, so wealthy. And we think they're going to live forever. And it looks like it sometimes, like they're going to live forever. But they're not going to. We get deceived sometimes. They don't have lifetime tenure. It's not eternal. Listen to what he's saying here. He's saying their strength is firm. You know what that means? It means made fat or plenteous. It means their rank. It means... He's looking at these people and he's saying, look, they have lifetime tenure. Look at these evil kings. Look at these evil people that oppress other people. Look, they they, they never go away. They're just there. He's being deceived. That's not true. Ahab got died. Jezebel died. Come on. (laughs) They They didn't live forever. But he's thinking this. And then he says, not only that, they are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. What does the word plague mean? That they're never touched. Teflon. Never touched. It's not true, my friend. They're not Teflon Don. They're going to be touched by God. They're being touched by God. Hallelujah. They're afraid, my friends. They're afraid. They will not build a big wall around them. Lord would raise a wire on top if they weren't afraid. The judgment of God will come. Who say you shouldn't preach that? Who cares? They're afraid. They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid when they go to bed at night and they know that mischief has been completed in their bed. Mischief for the next day. They know there's a God that's looking. Deep down they know there's a God. They try to ignore Him. But the power of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the remnant and the prayers of the church, praise God, send that Holy Spirit to convict and prick their conscience. Saul of Tarsus thought he was going to get away with it when he was persecuting Christians and causing their death. But one day on the Damascus Road, praise God, he saw a shining light. Hallelujah. And that shining light came down and he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? They're going to see that light, my friend. They might see it today or tomorrow, but they're going to see that light one of these days. Because all will be called to judgment. What's he saying? There's an assault on his mind, just like you and I this morning. He believed a lie. (laughs) 
He was believing they lived a painless life and that they appear healthy and strong. He believed that they lived forever and they would never die. Boy, was he tricked, seducing spirits. He believed that they were never touched or struck in life. What lies do you believe this morning? You've heard me preach many times. We can't agree with lies. What's your agreement this morning? We have to agree with the word of God. Even when you don't see it, that's faith, my friend. You know, I have a very simple definition of faith in layman's terms for myself. Faith is using up all the light that you have and taking the first step into darkness. Faith is using up all the light that God has given you for the moment and taking that first step into darkness. And God says, for the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. You will get light again in that dark moment. Do you believe God is fair with you or do you think he favors just other people? That's what he's thinking. He's being deceived. So what happens in verse 6 through 10? It's the continued battle of the mind. And that's what we're in right now. It's a battle of the mind. Is this going to happen? Should this happen? I thought this was going to happen. It's a battle of the mind in your family, in your home, in your marriage with your children. It's a constant battle. There seems to be no respite between trials and tribulations. He says in verse 6, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. All right. He's seeing who these people are now. Wait a minute. Is there a change taking place here? He says violence covers them as a garment. All right. They're oppressing people. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have no more than heart could wish. Hmm. They are corrupt. Now he's speaking some truth. And speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither. People start listening to these folks. That's what he's saying. We have to be careful to agree with the lies of the enemy that want to brainwash you and cause you to believe this. And not the word of God. Are you hearing what God is trying to say here? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God, the psalmist is saying, he says some some of your people, God, are listening to them. They're being swayed. That's why in the Old Testament, when the men of God who were the true prophets came to prophesy, the people did not want to hear them. They said, prophesy smooth things to us. And they went to those that tickled their ears. They believed the lie. They didn't believe what God was saying to them. Therefore, his people return hither. They, 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 they're listening to these people. And the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. You know what he's doing here? He's seeing beyond smoke streaks and mirrors. He's seeing beyond. You see, up until this moment, he, he's believing this lie that this is all true. But now God is hearkening to his heart through the power of the Spirit. And he's saying, son, let's look at some truth here. Let's look at who these people really are. Oh, they're suave. Oh, they're smooth. They're cunning. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We've all met those kind of people. They're slippery snakes that come into your life and they're smooth as butter with a knife in your back. You know exactly what I'm saying this morning. And God is saying, open your eyes, son. They're not going to live forever on earth. Oh, they may have nobility and wealth now, but their eyes will close one day. And yes, you are right. They are violent. They're corrupt. 
And yes, they sway the minds of others. Come on, praise God. He's realizing truth now. And he's describing who these people really are. And he's calling them out on their participating behaviors. He's awakening somehow. But listen to what happens. In verse 11, And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? What he's saying here, is God aware of what's happening? Is God aware of what's happening in the world? And that's what a lot of Christians are asking this morning. Does God know what's going on? Doesn't God know that we're living in a society where where we're being oppressed and our liberties are being taken? Doesn't God know that? Doesn't God know they're trying to shut our mouths? Doesn't God know that? Doesn't God know that lions have been released against us? God is fully aware of what's going on on this earth. He tells the ocean how far it can go. He controls the winds and the rains. He's in total control of the universe. But sometimes we get waylaid. And sometimes we get so bogged down in our own dilemmas in our own darkness that we forget that the hand of God is really moving. The psalmist is questioning whether God is realizing what's going on. Is the Most High even aware of what's happening? And you know, sometimes we have similar thoughts. You know why? Because you're human. I said because you're human. And you know when we have those kind of thoughts? Self-condemnation begins to set in immediately like concrete. Back up a little bit. It's okay to come before God and express how you feel. God's not going to get mad at you. God wasn't mad at this psalmist. He's a worship leader. He wasn't mad. He's a music man. He was creative. And he was pouring out his heart to God. God didn't reject him. But God is going to engage him. And God will not reject you. When we come to God with a pure and contrite spirit, when we come before God and we break and we are not uh, allowing ourselves to bottle up our tears, but come before God and say, God, this is who I am right now. I am frustrated. I am angry. I don't like life. Life sucks right now. Don't tell me you don't say that sometimes. Because sometimes it seems like it does. And God understands our humanity. Why do you think when Jesus was going up Golgotha's hill to go to the cross, why do you think he fell under the cross? And why do you think they summoned Simon of Cyrene to help him carry the cross? He was the son of God, but he was also the son of man. And he was trying to say to us that I understand your humanity. And he was trying to give us a message. He needed help from Simon of Cyrene. We need each other's help. We need each other's encouragement. We need to speak into each other's spirit the things of God and provoke one another to love and to good works. That's what Jesus was trying to say to us. You can't do this by yourself. We try, but we can't. Listen to what happens here. 
he falls back again. And you know, it's so easy to get the victory and five minutes later, fall back into the lie. He says in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. Now he's saying the same thing. They increase in riches. Look at the arrogant people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Again, he's believing a lie. It's an attack on his mind. He's saying they have it made. No, they don't. It's not true. We think they have it made. They think they have it made because they're so deceived. But the psalmist again is believing a lie. And he's saying to God, they have it all and I'm lacking. Do you feel like you lack this morning? <laughs> Did anybody here walk to church 10 miles? Did anybody sleep in a pup tent last night in the cold? I'm pretty sure you ate breakfast and had your cup of coffee. Come on now. I'm pretty sure you used the restroom facilities where you live and maybe took a shower and had water coming through the pipes. Come on now. I'm sure. But we think we lack sometimes. And we mumble. And we complain. And God hears it. But he doesn't throw you out. Just like your kids, they mumble and complain sometimes, but you don't get rid of them. You like it, but you don't. Come on. That's the beauty of grandchildren. You can send them home. With a belly full of sugar. Now you see how it feels to be a parent. <laughs> don't you love it? The privilege of grandparenting. Look at verse 13. He's questioning. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocently, in innocency. What's he saying? He's questioning his faith. He's questioning the pure life that he's lived. And the battle continues in his brain, in his mind. In the message version, that same verse says, I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? I've heard through 48 years of ministry, I've heard that a few times. Play by the rules, Pastor. I do the right thing. I love God. Why is this happening? I don't have all the answers to all your questions. All I know is this to take one step at a time. Sometimes it's baby steps. As God reveals. I worked for a lady who was very influential in my life, Miss Bogan, who said... More shall be revealed. She used to tell me that all the time. More shall be revealed, Rev. More shall be revealed. God will reveal it to us. He was questioning his faith. He was questioning his purity of life and his sincerity of heart. Was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and kept myself from doing wrong? Was it, was it wrong, God? No. A thousand times God said, no. He was questioning what he, he was receiving out of the Christian life. What am I getting out of this, God? It's not working out. And that's how we feel sometimes. We feel our burden so strongly. We feel like our shoulders are so weighed down that we're bowed over. And sometimes in our anguish, sometimes in our moments, 
of Gethsemane. When it seems like we're just saying, God, take this cup from me. It's more than I can bear right now. Even Jesus needed an angel at that moment to come and give him strength. To minister to him. How about us? Perhaps God will send an angel. Whatever it takes. But God has his eye on you because I know this. He calls us his beloved and he says, you are the apple of my eye. And when you're the apple of someone's eye, they have their eye on you. He's not forgotten us. We must remember 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It says this, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We must keep on keeping on. Even when it doesn't seem like life is fair at the moment, we must keep doing what God has called us to do. He said, occupy until I come. There's going to be interruptions. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be moments of turmoil in your mind. There's going to be moments of tension and complexity that's beyond your control. And all you can do is call for the mercies of God and fall before God prostrate and say, God, I can't do this by myself. Listen, stinking thinking and lying agreements come back. In verse 14, he says, For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. What is this? It's his stinking thinking again. His lying agreements about his life, the continued battle of the mind. I must impress you about this this morning. The battle is in your mind. It's in your thoughts. We have to continually ask ourselves, Lord, what am I thinking about? What should I be thinking about? Where should my thoughts be? And the enemy always wants to pull your thoughts away from God and toward him to believe the lie, the agreement of what he's saying. Listen, he says, I'm plagued all the day. He said, I'm being stricken down. I'm defeated. And he says, I'm being chastened. I'm being rebuked, corrected. I'm being reproved. God is not reproving him. God's loving him. God is trying to draw him into the arena. God is trying to expose the lie in his life first so he can deal with the truth when it comes. That's what God wants to do. He wants to expose the lies in society. He wants to expose the lies, the lies of the nobility, the nobles. Those that want to tell 330 million people in America how to live and they're not living right for God. He wants to expose their lies. That's the whole thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, it's like a, a God has got a sting operation going here. And he's saying, I want to expose those people. I want to show you the dirt and the rot and the darkness. That's why he's exposing human sex trafficking. That's why he's exposing child abuse. That's why he's exposing all this. Because he wants the world to know what's going on. He wants the world to know that there's people out there that are evil. That take advantage of other people and women and children. He wants the world to know this. And he's exposing that. Just the other day, 37 got arrested for human sex trafficking. 
Little by little. You don't hear much about that in the major news channels because they don't want you to know that. God's not dead. He's alive. And God knows the unrighteousness of people. And the righteous God will come down and God will plague them and God will strike them for what they're doing, especially to children and to women. He's lying. He says, all I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. This is exactly what the enemy wants you to think and believe. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking and believing? That's not true or accurate. That's not based on God's word. We all get lured into that arena sometimes. And we say things sometimes that just come out. It's not fair. Why isn't this working out? Some people think they were born under a bad sign. Some go around saying I wasn't born with a full deck of cards. Some go around saying I'm a few sandwiches short of a picnic. And they, they confess that and they say that because they're mad and they're angry. And most of the times they're not angry or mad at God. They're angry at themselves because of their frustration. Because they don't know what to do with it. The psalmist is going to show us what to do. That's what I love about this psalm. In verses 15 and 16 he says this. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Here's what's happening here. This is a great moment in this man's life. Because he's getting the victory at this moment. Here's what's happening in this passage of scripture. He's saying this. He's getting victory over his thoughts. He's saying this. He says, I didn't tell God's people this situation. I don't want to tell them because it's going to influence their homes, their families, and their children. Look at what the word says. He says, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He's saying, if I say this, if I speak this publicly, I'm going to be offensive and I'm going to cause negativity to come into the lives of other people and I don't want to influence the next generation of children to think that this is who God is, that he doesn't care about me. Be careful what you say. Especially in front of children. Too much loose conversation in our homes. Hear what I'm saying? There's too much loose conversation in our homes. And children pick up on everything because they listen. They're sponges. They don't have defense mechanisms like you. They don't have all that going on in their brain. They could be playing. They could be doing. And you think they're not paying attention, but they understand exactly what you're saying. They hear you. So what's he saying here? Let me give you this commentary that the Lord gave me. He's saying, I'm not going to tell God's people. If I say my faith in God is vain, then I will bring reproach on God and cause others to despair. You got to be careful about your conversation. It's so easy to bring down some other human being quickly. It's so quickly we can fall. So quickly. By our negativity. By our complaining. He says this. This is what the, God gave me as a commentary. If I say my faith in God is in vain, then I will bring reproach on God and cause others to despair. He didn't utter evil words, but he was thinking these thoughts to the point where it became a giant ache in his heart. It's in here. 
It's building up. The air is in the balloon. God is saying, think before you speak because your words will have influence on other people. We have to recall those negative moments that we spoke and correct it. And we must have positive words based on God's promises and God's Bible and God's book to speak into the hearts of others. That's what's going to win. But something happened to him. He's kind of chastising himself. And he's saying, well, I'm not guilty of saying this to people. I'm saying it to you, God. And then something miraculous happened. A great turnaround. Which a lot of people don't think is important. He said he believed all this stuff until when? Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. What happened? I went to church. I went to see God. I went amongst my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I had fellowship where the Spirit of God moves in His freedom and liberty. And you can feel the presence of the Almighty and the love of God. And I sat in the house of the Lord when He was saying a change was taking place. When? When I went into the sanctuary. Oh, this is just a brick and mortar building. When you come before God quietly and you join your brothers and sisters in the Lord and you brought church with you and they brought church with them and you combine, praise God, you have church, hallelujah, in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of your darkness and begin to sing the praises of God and the praises unto the Lord and all of a sudden the darkness begins to clear and begins to lift and you begin to rejoice and you say, okay God, I know you're in control. Okay God, I know you love me. Okay God, I'm sorry for those lies. Okay God, give me your truth. Okay God, I am in your scope you see me your eyes are upon me what's he saying when I went to the church he began to see the situation clearly you know why because he was away from all the clutter and all the distractions and all the noise and all the news he shut off CNN and NBC and CBS and ABC he shut them down he says, I gotta go to the house of God and irrigate my brain and irrigate my heart. I need the water of the washing of the word. I need a refreshing, praise God. I must go hear truth. I must hear the voice of my God and my Lord. What did he do? He worshiped God. What does that mean? How do you worship? Do you worship to the point of change taking place? When Jesus was at the well, he said to the woman, in John 4, 23, he says, but the hour cometh and now is, and this is the hour, my friend. We can sit there like bumps on the log. We can sit there stuffed up, shut up. Come on now. It's like we went to the taxidermist. Come on. I said, it's like people went to the taxidermist. See what you got, preacher. See if you can move me. I'm not trying to move you. I can't move you. But the power of God can move you. The power of the Holy Spirit can move you. The power of truth can move you. I'm not here to move you. I'm here to preach to you. That's right. We can't be stoic. Because there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to have to cry out to God. You know, there's just ordinary prayers sometimes. 
But then there's a time of extraordinary prayer. When life has hit you in the face and you hear something that you don't want to hear. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. That's when your prayers become extraordinary. It's not just lay me down prayers. It's not like God bless this food. Let's go. I'm ready to eat. I'm hungry. Oh no, you get down before the dust before God and you intercede. It's called intercessory prayer. And you cry out to God. You don't pray. You cry out to God. And when you cry out to God, the tears come. And when you cry out to God, your heart opens up. And when you cry out to God, the ministry of tears takes place. And when you cry out to God, all that emotion that has been sucked up into your life that you've taken and you've never released, all of a sudden comes out like a river. We hold it in. That's why I love the kind of worship we have here that we can praise God and and, and, and express our emotions through song and praise and worship. But the hour cometh and is now when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to, to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worship is so important. Singing unto the Lord is so important. He wants to put a new song in your heart. When the devil backs you up, it means God's ready to push forward in your life. Listen, you can't do something for God without opposition. Come on. I've been in this too long not to know the plan. I've been in this too long not to know how, how he operates. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. To wipe you out, to take you out. He's tried numerous times in my own life. God says, press in. Amen. Press into the kingdom. Hallelujah. The law and the prophets were until John. Luke 16, 16. But, but since that time, the kingdom of God, he says, you must press into it. A lot of people don't know how to press in. In the old church, when people came to the altar, people circled them. You were not let out of that altar. And every once in a while... One of those elderly sisters would whisper in your ear, are you satisfied? You know what she was saying? Did your prayer get answered? And if you didn't say you were satisfied, they'd pray another half an hour. They didn't worry about the turkey in the oven. They had no timers on our stoves. Hallelujah. They gathered around you and praised God. Hallelujah. They poured a bottle of oil on your head and you had oil on the top of your head down to the soles of your feet. When you walked out of that church, you were oil soaked. Praise God. With a bottle of oil and oil soaked by the power of the Holy Spirit. People get tired if they pray a minute. That's long enough. You got what you got. I got to go home. I got things to do. I got life to live. You better be careful what you say. That you don't attend the house of God. He says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. When? As you see, that day approaching. That day is approaching, my friend. That day is approaching. And people take God off their list first. Oh, I can't be there today. Oh, you should be there today. We scratch God right off. Number one, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You'll never prosper. You will never, never prosper biblically if you don't put God first. Hear what I'm saying to you. I'm an old warrior. I'm an old soldier. I've got scars and battle wounds. I've learned through hard knocks and failure. Come on. I'm not afraid to be transparent. You know that. 
And I see danger. I said, I see danger. I discern danger. People are chasing rainbows. People are chasing the pot of gold. They're, 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 changing. they're chasing their own pleasure. Go to the book of Haggai. They went and built their homes. They had tiled homes, beautiful homes, while the house of God laid waste. They built a, a, a foundation that laid waste for somewhere between 13 and 18 years. And the prophet came by and said, hey, what are you doing? They came out on the front porch and said, what do you mean, what are we doing? Look at our homes, panels, cedar. Look at our couches. Look at all we got. And the prophet said, you have nothing. It'll come to nothing. You have nothing and you don't even know it. You're so deceived and lied to because you think that's your happiness. The prophet was saying, you're such foolish people. He's saying, get to the woods and build some Get some timber. The block has been laid for how many years and people pass by and they ridicule you and they say, oh, where are the Christians? Where are the builders? Where are the people building the house of God? We're living in the days of Haggai and you know what's going to happen? God says there's going to be holes in your sack. Your cattle will not give birth. Your crops will not grow. Come on, we're having seen it in America. We're seeing it in America because people are so too busy. You know what this mask stuff has done to society? It's caused people to go home and become hermits. And people are liking it. People like to be by themselves. They, yes, they, they got used to it. I got my own little, my own little cubby. Kind of reminds me of prison life. I had many men in my office in a three-month program. Three months! Sit by my desk and say, Pastor, I got to go home. I said, yeah, we want to get you home in 90 days, son. No, he said, you don't understand. I got to get home. So what are you talking about? First time that came to me, I thought the guy was metal. He said, I got to go back to prison. I got to go back to my cubby. I got to go back to my cell. All this freedom, these trees, the birds, it's driving me crazy. Can I get out of here? What can I do to get out of here? Think about it. That's what people are doing. I gotta get out of society. I can't take this. I gotta build my own little world, my own little world. Don't I have a nice house? Yeah, but where's your spirit? Where's your family? Where are your children? Tell me, where are your children this morning? Where are your children? You have a nice home, a nice couch, a nice curtains, but where are your children? We must speak this. We must. The true prophets, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, will speak the word. A prophet is someone that tells the truth, and truth hurts. This man of God, in verse 18, he says, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream with one awakened. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. You know what he's saying? Here's the easy version. It says, the slippery road you've put them on with a final crash in a ditch of delusions. Think about this today for present-day politicians. They think, oh, they're, they're being terrorized. 
They're having dreams. Don't you worry about it. In the blink of an eye, disaster. A blind curve in the dark and a nightmare. We wake up and rub our eyes. Nothing. There's nothing to them. And there never was. And God is coming on their beds. And God is judging them. And the power of God and the Holy Spirit is convicting them of what they're doing. They're afraid to go out. They're afraid. Why are you afraid? You know when people become afraid when they do wrong. You know why people become fearful and don't want to come to the house of God when they're not living right for God. Hey, you can pose. We can put the mask on. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the one that's supposed to whatever. I'm talking about the real pose. This is who I want you to think I am. You don't fool God. We're naked before God, my friend. Don't ever think you can fool God. You can fool me. You, you can fool the whole world, but you're not going to ever fool God. Praise the Lord. He's, he's talking about the truth about the wicked. They'll be punished. They'll be destroyed and swept away. He's getting now, praise God. He's getting truth. The psalmist realizes truth in an atmosphere of truth. Where is he? In the sanctuary, in the house of God. Praise the Lord. He's in the secret place of the Most High. He's in the sacred place. And we must find that place with God where we can hear truth. Truth in many places is not spoken anymore. We've told the Holy Spirit not to come into our churches. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus was knocking on the door, he was not knocking on the door of sinners. We used that scripture to try to win sinners to the Lord. He was knocking on the door of the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Churches are closing. They could open. They got comfortable. They got comfortable. We must open the door to God every day. We're the church. And he's knocking on my door. He's knocking on your door. And he says, behold, I stand at your door and knock. Praise God. He wants to give us fresh revelation. He wants to give us a new song. He wants to give us more love. He wants to give us more of his commitment. Verse 21. The consequences, positive consequences of true worship. He said, thus my heart was grieved. And I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a boast before thee. You know what he's doing? He's admitting now. Boy, Lord. You're not just good to Israel. How did I get in this web of lies? How did I get in this spider web? How? how? Lord, it's only when I came to the house of God that I begin to See how you are unraveling the truth in my life. These people are corrupt. These people are devilish. These people are evil. They don't want you, God. And I started to believe that they were untouchable. They were untouchable. They, they, they were Teflon Dons. Nobles, wealthy, rich, never sick, never will die. And he's saying, my heart was grieved because I, I was pricked in my reins. And that word reigns in a lot of times in the Bible means urine, poison. God was saying, thank you for releasing the poison lies out of my life. Oh, come on, my friends. Sometimes we have to allow God in the sanctuary to, to come to us and, and melt us and, and, and cry before God. The ministry of tears is, is so successful in our lives. It's, it's the ministry of God. Amen. Hallelujah. What's he saying? He was coming to himself. He, he, he was seeing the light. 
He was seeing the truth. He, he was saying this in a different version. When I was beleaguered and bitter and totally consumed with envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence, God. Don't we feel that way, so foolish sometimes? When we think in error, and we come to the house of God, and a song straightens us out, or, or, or the preacher's sermon straightens out our thinking, and we say, Why, wasn't I a dumb ox in his presence? Didn't I get sucked into that lie? Didn't I, didn't I fall for that one? Well, that tall tale that the enemy told me that I started to believe until I came to the sanctuary. Let me conclude here, if I can. How does this relate to you and your walk with God? Are you receiving light and is, and is truth being revealed to you? Are you open? Are you listening? It's so important. Every day that I wake up, I, I try to spend time with God early in the morning. And my wife does the same. And we've been doing that for years. For I don't know how many years. I try to give God at least the first hour and a half of my life before I do anything else. I study, I read, I meditate, I pray. I try to just seek God in his quietness. It's a practice. Some days there's things I interrupt that, but sometimes during the day I try to catch up. And even when I was working, I did the same. Early in the morning, I try to give God the first 90 minutes of the day Seek him and get revelation because we should have an eagerness to always want to learn. Amen. You know, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm 73 years old. I've been in the ministry for now going on, what, 48 years? And I feel like I've only scratched the surface of what I need to know. I'll be quite frank with you. I, I feel so, on, so ignorant biblically sometimes. And I have studied the word for decades. But I feel ignorant. Because God has such great depth. I could read a passage that I've maybe read 50 times. And tomorrow I could read that same passage and see something that I never saw before. And I say, God, how, how did that elude me? How, how, how did that escape me? God desires to give you more revelation. People don't read his word. God, God wants to put a desire for his word into our heart. I love books. I, I, my library, people know my library here in my home. I've read a lot of books. I recommend books to people. I can, I can see pictures of books of the cover. Sometimes when I'm counseling with someone and I say, give them that one, I, the Lord brings it back to me and I see the title and I know the color of the book and I say, this is a good book for you, but I want to uh, caution you to read the word of God also. Amen. Listen to what I'm saying here through the Lord. He says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me, glory, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In the message version it says this, the psalmist is now a this is a turnaround. This man has come out of the quagmire. He says, I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. Oh, praise God. 
You wisely and tenderly lead me and, and then you bless me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. And when my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. You know what he's saying? The truth is this, he was saying, I belong to God and God is taking me by my right hand. He realizes God is with him. He realizes God is on his side. He realizes God is not his enemy. He realizes all he wants at this point in life, all he wants is God. And your future is as good as God and God is good in all the times of your life. Whatever you go through, God is good. Truly God is good. Hallelujah to his people. Thank you, Lord. I'm not done. Almost. You know I closed three or four times. Verse 27. He finally realizes the fate of the wicked. Don't you ever think, because it looks like they're prospering, and they're in positions of nobility and wealth. And they look like they're just controlling the world and what they could do to people. Here's the end. He says, for lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. <laughs> he said in Psalm 73, 27 in the ESV version, he says, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Evil people are not faithful to God. They devise mischief, the Bible says, upon their beds. They devise machinations. Machinations. To oppress, to control, and to do their evil in society. And they think... Look at me. I'm worth $100 billion. I'm worth more than him. And you know why we could do this? Because we're rich. We have power. We have control. Oh, but let me remind you. When Jesus was going toward Jerusalem and the disciples were worried, they didn't want him to go to the cross. And they came and said, Master, no. And Jesus said, the finger of God, he says, go tell that fox <laughs> with the finger of God. You know what he was saying? I can just smite him with the finger of God. I can just go like that, Jesus would say, and boom, he disappears. I can erase him from the earth. And one day God will erase them from the earth. They will not bother anyone anymore. They will not have evil machinations against people that are innocent. And then he says this in verse 28 as I close. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. What a turnaround. Look at what we started with here. He was thinking God isn't good for me, good to me. God's forgotten me. But the change took place, my friend, when he went back to the house of God. And you know what? That's what happened to each and every one of us. We came to Christ and we went back to the house of God. Listen, there's a lot of houses out there. Come on now. Find one that has the spirit. Find one that preaches the truth. You know, we'll, we'll ride an hour to go to a good restaurant. 
We'll go to Syracuse and we'll go to Rochester to, to go to a good restaurant to get a good meal. But to ride 20 minutes or 30 minutes to a good church, oh, I don't know, Lord, that's, that's, that's a sacrifice. I hope you hear that voice behind you that says, it wasn't a great sacrifice when you went out to dinner an hour away, was it? Ah, uh, come on now. Are you with me? Are you with me? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, draw near means approach me. He's saying, it is good for me to draw near to God. I, I, want, I want to approach God. I, I want to draw near. I want to present myself to Him. And then he says, I have put my trust in the Lord. And he was saying this, I have hope in God. I seek God for refuge. I flee to Him for protection and shelter from the rain and the storm, from danger, from falsehood. I put my trust in God. I confide in God and my hope is in God. Psalm 73, verse 28, in the message version, as I close, and I love this, but I am in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made the Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what you do. What an exclamation point. What a turnaround. God turned us all around when we came to Christ, my friend. And God will continue to move in our lives as we congregate, as we come together in Him. Hallelujah. It's like Sister said, they might be able to close the door of a church, but they'll never close the door of Christians. Our mouths are wide open, looking for the open door to minister and to speak. Paul said, pray for me that an open door will be given to me to speak the word. And we're trying to use available doors to us through social media, through YouTube, and through podcasts to get the word of God out to other people. And God is blessing it. Praise God. In the last month, we've had over 12,000 contacts to our Facebook. 12,000. We're in 25 countries now where the message of God has been heard at least one time. We're in 135 states, cities, excuse me, in America right now through our podcasts. I'm nobody. People don't know me. But somehow, God is allowing his light to shine on this church and this ministry to bring the word of God and truth to other people to give them hope. Counseling on the internet, counseling with people, asking for prayer. We're conducting usually four prayer meetings a week here at the church. Come on. You don't think there's going to be opposition? You don't think God's doesn't see that. You don't think the enemy, you think the enemy's on the sidelines saying, hey, good job, Colombo. Good luck. Good luck. Good job, church. Appreciate you coming here this morning. The devil hates you. And I hate him. And we haven't been friends for a long time. But God is my friend. I say God is my friend. Let us pray. Father, I believe you've given a, a great word to the church this morning, to those that would view and those that would listen. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the revelation that you give us, the truth of your word. I thank you for the psalmist, and I thank you for his openness. And Lord, how he was feeling. He was not ashamed to tell you, God. He was upset and angry and envious and jealous. He didn't like, like oh God, the cards that were dealt to him at that moment. But the change took place as you revealed truth to him. You brought him back to the house of the Lord. Father, you brought us back out of the miry clay. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our lives. I pray, God, for the congregation this morning here. I pray for the people. I pray, God, that you would touch them. 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that your healing power would come upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, you would touch them in their body, their soul, and their spirit. Lord Jesus, I'm reminded of the lady that went into the surgery one time, and a good friend of mine, his wife, and we were praying for her. And I was having coffee with her, with the husband down in the cafeteria, and all of a sudden his name was being paged. And we went up to the room, and there was his wife in the hallway, in the hallway, saying, Al. And I said, Al, wasn't your wife supposed to have an operation today? And he said, yes, Pastor. I said, the doctors told her, this is what she said, that she was healed, praise God, and didn't need that operation. <laughs> praise the Lord. I, I'm, I'm happy for good doctors, and I'm happy for good nurses and good medicine, and I never minimize that. But sometimes God comes down, and he heals by the power of his spirit. And I pray, God, for healing this morning in the name of Jesus. I pray for those that would view this on YouTube. I pray for those that will listen on our podcast, that God, your healing power would reach out to them, body, soul, and spirit, that you would touch their families, their marriages, their homes, their children. Oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray and believe and receive in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you and thank you for listening this morning.